Okay. So we're going to start with a, a beautiful Torah that will take us through 3,700 years of history. <clears throat> Starting in the Parsha, we see that We see that in the beginning, Yosef is called by Paro to interpret his dreams. Everyone knows that Paro had two dreams. He dreamt of seven, seven uh, fat cows and then seven lean cows, seven healthy uh, grains and then seven scrawny grains. And then the Torah says that there was no one to interpret his dreams. But Rashi clarifies. Rashi says they actually did interpret his dreams, but he didn't like them. So when you read the Rashi, it, it sounds almost a little funny, right? They interpret his dreams, well, I don't like that one. <laughs> I don't, bring me what I'm going to like. But it, it, says in the, it says that along with a dream comes its interpretation. And, and Paro, Paro didn't like the interpretations but because it didn't ring true to him. It didn't ring true to him because in our, our unconscious along with the dream we get the interpretation. But it's like it doesn't mean that we remember it. But, it's, but what, what Rashi is really telling us is that intuitively Paro knew that these aren't the right interpretations. It's not like he, he was fickle and he didn't like them. So then he calls Yosef to interpret his dreams. Okay? Yosef interprets his dreams. Now you have to understand that we're talking about an age, if you remember in, in the Megillah, when Mordechai said, um, well, just go to the king and, and, and tell him we're in trouble. And remember what she said? She said, I haven't been called these 30 days. You can't just go in front of the king unannounced. You could, you could be killed on the spot. If the king had a, a little headache that day, like you know, like off with their head. So Yosef interprets the dreams, and then, if you notice, he continues to talk, and he starts giving Paro advice, and he says, "You should appoint a very wise person, and you should." Uh, build granaries and save up the grains through the seven years of plenty. And then when the famine comes, 
because he had already interpreted the dreams. He said seven good years and seven not so good years. When he interpreted the 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 dreams, he started giving advice. And so the question is, the question is, what what chutzpah did Yosef have? to start giving power. He just spent 12 years in jail, right? And he's interpreted the dreams, but now he's, now he's giving advice. And everyone knows how it turned out. Paro was so impressed that he appoints Yosef to be second in, in charge. So if you're following, so the question is really, what was Yosef thinking? That he could just start giving advice. So, so I'm going to jump ahead. Actually, there's, there's four stages to this. But I'm going to jump ahead to the 1800s and tell a story. This is a story we heard from Rav Shlomo a number of times. Okay, hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Hold it. Let me say before we go on that our learning tonight should be a merit and a before Shlema by Alexander Ben Gittel. Alka Bat Sarah. He's having surgery right now as we speak. Everyone who needs a before. Everyone who needs an aliyah to neshama. So the story is, is that Rabbi Simcha Bunim, before he became a big Rebbe, so he was he was a very worldly person. Just Yeah. Rabbi Simcha Bunim of Tzishka. And he... he at one time was a, a pharmacist, he was a businessman, he, he bought and he sold all kinds of things, he was an accountant, he was all kinds of things. And at one point he was a little bit down on his finances and he went to the Sir of Lublin and he asked advice like, like what, what should I do next? And the Sir of Lublin said go to this town, to this nice hotel, and check in, and everything will be okay. Okay, everyone knew that the Sir of Lublin could see from one end of the world to the other. So he goes, he doesn't have any money, but he checks into this hotel, and he's, you know, living very nicely. But the truth is, all day long he's davening, because like, I know the Rebbe sent me here for something. I don't really know what I'm supposed to do here. So he's davening that, that something will happen. And three, four, five, six days go by, and you know, the management is not getting paid. So they send the message like, uh, if you're planning on staying longer, how about paying for what you've stayed so far? And then we can talk about longer. So he said, um, everything will be fine, come back at 5 o'clock. He has no money. 
and he's davening and davening and davening. So at two o'clock, there's a knock on his door, and a man says, "Can I come in and talk to you?" So he says, "Yes." So he's a representative of Temeral. Temeral was a, a, a actually in history, she was a very famous woman who was uh, fabulously wealthy, and she owned like you know you name it, she owned lots of things. And this is one of her representatives, and he said, uh, my boss has heard that, heard that you're in town, and we've heard that you're, you're a very good businessman and an accountant, and we, we need a, like a top accountant right now, and she's willing to offer you like a very, very high salary. So, he thinks about it for a minute. Wow, obviously this is what the Seer of Lublin sent him for. And after a few minutes, he says, um, Tell Tamaral, uh, I'm, not, I'm not willing to work for her, but I'm willing to be a partner with her. So the guy looks at him like, like like, he doesn't have a dime for yes. his Do you realize like what you're turning down here? <laughs> he says, no, go back and tell her I'm willing to be partners with her. So he leaves. It's two o'clock. He's got three more hours <laughs> before he's, he's going to have to either wash dishes for the next month or pay the bill and he is davening and davening at four o'clock there's a knock on the door this time it's Temeral herself and she walks in and without any pleasantries she says what kind of a chutzpah is this? <laughs> what kind of a chutzpah? I just offered you like an incredible job. Like from what I hear, you're not in such a position to refuse. What a chutzpah! So Rab Simcha says, I would love to be partners with you. And they're staring at each other and Tamaril blinks first <laughs> and she says, you know what? I like someone with chutzpah I like someone with chutzpah and she brought him into, into the business and then she said so afterwards she said, do you mind if I ask you? Where did you get the chutzpah to refuse and ask to be partners when the chances were like one in a thousand? And he said, I learned this from my Rebbe. He says, when the door is open, fling it all the ways open. And this is one of Reb Shlomo's like, favorite messages. That's why he loved this story. 
In other words, if the, if the, if the gates are open, if opportunity is knocking, so push the door open. Don't stand in the doorway. Push it open. Okay, now let's go back now to the Maccabees. So everyone knows the question. Classic question. When they cleaned up the whole Beit HaMikdash and miraculously they found this cruise of oil, but it was only enough for one day. And in those days it took about a week to make the pure oil because they only took the first drop of each of the pressing for, for the menorah. Other oil could be used for the different carbonate, for the, the mincha offerings, but for the menorah it has to be the first drop of each pressing. It takes time. So everyone asks, so why don't they just wait a week? Why don't they just wait a week? And so the answer is the same thing that Yosef did, the same thing that Simcha Bunim did. They saw like the gates were open. The gates were open. And even though we're told you're not supposed to rely on a miracle, but they just pushed them all the ways open. We'll, just, we'll, 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 we'll worry about if, there, if, if it goes out tomorrow, tomorrow. Right now they felt this influx of energy and they had to grab onto it. And in fact it's brought down in, in the Gemara that they waited an entire year before they made the holiday called Hanukkah. Because they wanted to wait to the 25th of Kisra of the next year to see if spiritually they felt the same influx of light. It wasn't like prophecy, but it was like, we call it Ruach HaKodesh. They wanted to, to know if this was like just like a, a fluke or that like a new light had come down on the 25th of Kislev and it would be renewed every year. And, and the next year they all felt it. They all felt it and then they in a sense made the holiday. They made the holiday. So we see in all three of these stories by Yosef at Sadiq. See, he saw the same thing. He saw, in a sense, that he had power in the palm of his hand. And the door was open. So he just he just made it wider. Yeah, yeah that's actually how Rabbi Shlomo said it. He said, if the, if the door, if the gate is open, make it wider. Make it wider. So I said that we, we were going to... There was one who didn't do that, Rabbi Yohan ben Remember? Ah, actually that's the second part of the... Not him per se, but that would fit in. That would fit in. But um, Rahul's right, because people asked, why didn't Rabbi Yohanan ben Zakkai do the same thing? When, when um, Vespasian said, I'll give you three, three requests and I'll grant them. And he didn't ask for Yerushalayim. Everyone asked, he asked for Yavna, 
he asked that, that Beit David be spared and he asked for a doctor to one of the sages who had been fasting on and off for 40 years for 40 years that the temple wouldn't be destroyed because the door wasn't fully open when the Romans say take whatever you want, ask whatever you want what they mean is just take a little yeah. so that's what, right, that's what people answer people answer is Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai saw that if he would ask for too much uh, what is it? Machzik Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tafasta Maruba, lo tafasta. Thank you. That if, if you try to grab too much, sometimes you're left with nothing. But but it, that's the question they ask. Why didn't he push the door open? So how do you know the Ah, so that's what we're going to see. That's the second part of the Torah. The second part of the Torah, we're going to see the, in a sense, the 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 mida connected mida of this. So we went from Yosef at Tzadik to the Maccabees to uh, Rabbi Simcha Bunam. But I want to add another thing. That in 1948, in 1947, if everyone remembers, in November, the United Nations voted on the partition plan and it passed. That was in November. And it was supposed to take place, you know, sometime the, the next summer, spring summer. In the meantime, really all heck broke out here, and it was basically a war already. And the British were trying to get themselves out of here, and it was basically the war had started already. And as each day went by. And the situation looked more and more unstable. There were voices being raised all over the world. Maybe we should reconsider this partition plan. And if everyone who knows their Zionist history, so when it got to May, almost a majority, in fact, I think it was a majority. Uh, it, then it was the Jewish agency, there was no state of Israel, but then the Jewish agency, the leadership of the Haganah, the Jewish agency, was also questioning. Because, you know, the situation looked very bad. All the Arab countries were promising, you know, full war if the partition plan actually was implemented. And they had very few arms. Everyone knows the story. But it was really one person, the strength of one person was David Ben-Gurion. He said, and he said it very clearly, he said, if we don't grab this chance now, it may never come again. We either grab it now, or, you know, we'll, we'll live to regret it. He also wrote this oh, yeah? um, autobiography that if his generation would not fulfill the Zionist dream, the Zionist goal of creating the Jewish state, and the next two generations won't make it also. Since the generations of the, the generation of the children, mm -hmm. and most likely that of their children would never make it just because of the shame. Mm -hmm. so, yeah. Yeah. so on the force of his his personality and his determination, so they like they they, they followed him. So this is a, this is a classic case also. That the door had been opened and it was actually about to shut. It was really about to shut. 
and he he pushed it open the whole way, and he said, "We're just going for it. I have no idea what tomorrow will bring. We just have to go for it." And you, you see the same. You see, in a sense, the same thing happened in in '67. Again, we had our backs to the wall. It looked really bad. It really looked really bad for the Jews. And you could say, so okay, after we, we preempted and we destroyed the Egyptian and Syrian air forces, we could have stopped. We could have stopped and said, okay, do you want more? But they did. They just six days, no one knew what happened. It happened so quickly that they just literally just pushed the doors open. <laughs> like, so you see, the we always talk about archetypal energies in the Torah. So here we see with Yosef, in this Parsha, he's really paving the way for for Hanukkah, and he's paving the way for for the state of Israel. You want to hear something beautiful? Yosef is gematria Zion. Yosef is gematria Zion. One fifty-six. One fifty-six. So we say Yosef was a first Zionist, <laughs> right? <laughs> Well, they carried these bones, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. and they carried them back, <laughs> carried them back to Eretz Israel. Okay. Sadik Yavan. Yeah, Sion. Yeah. If you look at the word Sion, the last three letters are Yavan, but with a Sadi in front of them. And this is this is a this is the teaching is when Noah blessed his son, so he blessed Yafet. He with beauty, but that beauty should dwell in the tents of Shem. And what we learn is when Yavan the beauty of Yavan, when it isn't in the tents of Shem, this is what we'll call today Western I'll, I'll add the word crass culture. There are some very good things about Western civilization. Don't get me wrong, but the the uh, the idealization of, of beauty. I remember my my mother, Allah Shama, when she was in her seventies. We were watching TV once, and there was some advertisement on, and she said, "In America, you can't be." young enough, skinny enough, or wealthy enough. And it's, I mean, it's true. It's like, it's, everything is, is made into this idealistic form of, you know, wealthy, skinny, <laughs> and young. But when you put beauty into the tents of Shem, then all of that culture can be a very beautiful thing. What is special about the tents of Shem? 
that, that's in, in a context of holiness. In other words, beauty in the context of holiness is a, a great thing. This is, see, this is what we call Hidur Mitzvah. The idea of beautifying a mitzvah is this idea that there is something about beauty. Abraham, yes. But it could also be superficial. Yeah. <laughs> you have to be careful with that. But it could, it could be. In other words, the truth is, it says in the Gemara, our, in, our outside should be like our insides. So if there, yeah, right, if there is a, an outside beauty, so there's nothing wrong with that. But you have to make sure that it's not just superficial and that's a reflection of an inside beauty. So that's all I'm saying is that uh, what we'll call whatever you want to call it art, music, uh, culture, theater, sports any of that in essence there's absolutely nothing wrong with any of it but it's which tent is it in? if it ends up in the tent of Yavan then it becomes um, it becomes uh, extreme in what happens with it. I mean, if anyone, there's it, it, a, a perfect example. Perfect, without, uh, not, I'm not getting into any judgments, whatever. But you know, the whole thing with Tiger Woods. Anyone who's followed the, you know, the, the news the last two weeks. He's the wealthiest sports person in the history of the world a golfer and he he made almost all of his money on commercials he i mean he won like you know scores of tournaments but that's not where he made, he made a billion dollars it was on endorsements so you see him because we travel a lot he's in every airport his his picture is everywhere everywhere and he was, and he was also the, the image of Mr. Clean, squeaky clean. It all crashed. What happened? What? what happened? Like everyone else, he was, he was carrying on with like two, three, four affairs at one time. Uh, and he got caught in all of them, kind of almost by accident, literally by accident. <laughs> he got in an automobile accident <laughs> and it set off this whole thing. And he's like, but you can have four if you're the man. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this is just example. It just the, the whole, the whole thing of Yavan. So it's Zion, Sion. You put a tzadi. Remember uh, uh, the the Arid is all called the letter tzadik. You put a tzadik in front of Yavan then you have the best of all worlds. 
That's what Rivka envisioned for Yaakov and Esau. To put the physical and the spiritual together, the material and the and and and, and Torah wisdom. And then it's all in the right measure, it can all so this fits in very beautiful with Hanukkah because this this mitzvah is is unique in that the way we do it is called you know the word mahadran comes from hidur comes from beauty so technically when we say you know something is mahadran Okay, so we think of kosher, but what it means is it's kosher in the most beautiful way, in the best way possible. So the way we light candles, because you could light one candle every night for Hanukkah and be Yotzi the Mitzvah. You could fulfill your obligation by lighting one candle. So the Mahadran way is you add every night. But then it says the Mahadrin of the Mahadrin is that every person lights all of the candles every night. So this is, this is it's, it's not a coincidence that the mitzvah that is called Mahadrin Sheba Mahadrin in the Halakha is the very one that we that's celebrated for, for defeating Yavin. So, yeah, but, but, but the message here is, again, that in principle, in principle, many of the things that, Yav, that Greece stood for, there's, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. It comes an end to itself. Yes, when it becomes an end to itself. Well, what, what does the name of the mitzvah mean? I'm sorry? What's the name of the mitzvah? <clears throat> what does it mean in English? Mahadrin. Mahadrin making beautiful. Uh, yeah, but doers to make it beautiful. It? So those who are making beautifying and uh, super beautifying. Okay. Is that what you're asking? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I thought it Okay. Uh, so wait. Anyway, so this will like this is like one idea. So so each part I'll give a, a bracha is. First of all, that, that Hashem opens gates for us. But when the gate is open, so open it wider. Open it wider. And then we'll get to your question, how do you know? All right, which one? Oh, yeah. Okay. This is Shlomo's. No, that's Mahal Shapiro. It is? Yeah. Want to hear a great niggun that goes to Mausur? This is a great niggun. If anyone has the MP3, this is from Mahal Shapiro. We sing it every night, every year. Do you have a sitter? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter. I'll sing it through, and then I'll just sing one stanza. You see how it fits in. Hey, I 
Yeah. 
Yom Tov. Was it on Hanukkah? Was it on Hanukkah when you got engaged? The night before. The night before. Kad, Kad, Kisa. Wow, 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 wow. Is this? Oh my gosh. Oh, what a what an honor. Wow. What an honor. I had no idea. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. Mazel Tov. My daughter is very good friends with Yona. <laughs> I mean, we are also, but it was yeah. through, it was through our daughter. <laughs> wow, that was great, great. Mazel tov, mazel. Wait, your colors will return as well. Yes. Oh yeah. Uh, a week from tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, our daughter's coming back a week from tomorrow. She's in New York right now. I just wanted to quickly thank Anna for cutting all the vegetables and making the whole world. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Sorry, my mother. Okay, so I saw. An awesome Torah from Reb Shlomo on Hanukkah. Um, for those people who don't know, in Hebrew, there's a series of books from Reb Shlomo by Shmuel Zivan. One is on Han- a whole book on Hanukkah, a whole book on Pesach, and a whole book on the holidays of Tishrei. Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot. The very very, he took them straight from tapes and in English or Hebrew, but he keeps the way Reb Shlomo actually spoke Hebrew. He was very, very true to how he used to actually speak. So I found this in the book on Hanukkah. And he says like this, first of all, he's talking about, he quotes the Arizal, and actually Shmuel Zivan put a little note there saying he's not sure where in the Arizal but it's it's at some point somewhere in Kabbalah or Hasidut came this idea that many of you have probably heard that although we say that the, the final ceiling for Yom Kippur is excuse me, the final ceiling of the ten days of Tshuva is on Yom Kippur but we know from the Navim Arishonim, the first Navim, and we're talking about going back 2,700 years, that it really extends to Hoshana Rabbah. Now, there wasn't a, like a later um, oral tradition. It's quoted in the name of the, of the Navim Arishonim that the final sealing doesn't really happen until Hoshana Rabbah. And then. Kabbalah and Hasidut came along and said it really extends to Hanukkah. That it may be sealed on uh, Hoshana Rabbah, but it's not delivered until Hanukkah. And when, when can it be delivered? By the lights of Hanukkah. Because then you can read it. Okay, so that's that's the the Hasidic idea. 
So Reb Shlomo is like talking about this. So we know that Rosh Hashanah is called Yom Zikaron, the day of remembrance. And he points out, and this, I mean, it's such a simple Torah, I never thought about it. He said, because the whole miracle of Hanukkah happened with oil, and it's brought down in the Gomorrah that eating olive oil is good for your memory. It's good for your memory. But eating too many olives is dead. Yeah, but that's what you're supposed to. You know, olives, they say, lead to forgetfulness. And that's why there's a custom to pour a little olive oil on the olives before you serve them. Because the olives is the antidote. Excuse me, olive oil is the antidote. So it says that there's... Now, considering how many things that science says is eventually that Torah says is eventually proved by science I have no doubt at some point they're going to find some enzyme in olive oil that will be proven to be good for your memory I have, I have no doubt it's just a matter of time but that's the, the truth all the way back to the Gomorrah the Gomorrah says eating olive oil is, is, a, a, is good for your memory so Reb Shlomo like, I just, it's like one and one equals two that the connection, why, why does it say in Kabbalah that the, the final sealing isn't to Yom Kippur? Because there's a connection between the memory of Rosh Hashanah and memory on Hanukkah. And he explains, he explains like this, he says there's two types of remembering. One kind of remembering is they ask you in school, I, 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 uh, all you Canadians have to pardon me for this one but they ask who is the first president of the United States George Washington okay you, you learn this fact you remember it that's one kind of memory in other words there's a kind of memory of, of facts and figures and I went here and I went there and this happened and this song you know, from 30 years ago. That's one kind of memory. He said there's another kind of memory that's called a holy memory where everything that you see reminds you of, in this case he's talking about Hashem. He says that there's, he said that there's something important to you then you remember everything about it. He said, this is the kind of memory that we're talking about on Rosh Hashanah and that can be accessed on Hanukkah. Uh, yeah? What about Shikha? We're <coughs> commanded to forget. And In one case. Yes. One case. Which case is that? Amalek. The agriculture, where it's uh, if uh, we forgot the bundles of grain. Then okay, we but we're not forgetting. We kind of. I know. I understand. I understand. But it's. Um, I mean, I'm not sure what you're getting at, but. Um, what well, you ah, so it actually fits in perfectly. So what we're saying, you rem- those things that are important. But the Torah is saying if you if, if you drop some grain behind you, 
not so important. Leave it for the poor. Not so important. You don't have to. Re- you don't have to pick every grain. You don't have to remember to pick every grain. If you leave a little behind, that's for the poor. I thought you were referring to one time we are told to forget. And that's Amalek. Yet it says Zachor. No, it's, right. It's, it's, a, it's a, a paradox. Remember to forget them. That's the, that's the language. It says Zachorit Masha Asalacha Amalek Al Tishkach. Oh, excuse me, you're right. Don't forget. No, no, so what I meant is, excuse me, what I meant is, white. Yeah. Timcha Zecher Amalek. Right? Wipe out the memory of Amalek, which means to forget. Wiping out the memory means to forget. And yet we're saying, don't forget to wipe out the memory. Right? So it's like, whoa, how do you do that? And it starts with Zachor. That's why Parsha, it's called Parsha Zachor. But Amalek is pretty important, so we remember that. <clears throat> but we're told that at one point, at one point we'll be able to forget it. Right now we can't forget it. Right now we can't forget it. Because it says you can only do that once God gives you rest from all of your enemies. Until God gives us rest from all of our enemies, we have to remember very well. That's why it says with Zachor, remember what Amalek did to you. And then it says, and when God gives you rest from all of your enemies, right, wipe out the, then, then you can wipe out the memory. Then you can wipe out the memory. Rabbi, could you say more about um, the seven kind of memories, the holy memories? Ah, okay. I'm going to quote Rabbi Shlomo. So, so he says like this, he says that in, in the Alanisim, so it says, the Ata Asita Shem Gadol Vakadosh Baolamecha. Says like doing this miracle and helping the Jews win the, the, the victory, you made we're, t- we're speaking to God, you made a great name in the, a great and holy name in the world. So he says, What what is what does that mean to make God's name great? I mean, God is as great as it is. What does it mean to make God's name great? So he answered that we make God's name great when everything we see reminds us of God. That's what makes God's name great. So I thought that was like... So that's what it means. Shaviti Hashem Lenegdi Tamid. I put God before me at all times. And we're told what that means is exactly what we just said. I see God in everything before me. Everything I see is just another manifestation of God. So listen, listen to what Rev Shlomo said after this. This was like awesome. He said, he said to go out on the limb, he says, how do, we, how do we make God's name great? By seeing God in every other Jew. 
And, and you want to hear the, the, the proof that he brings? He says that we shouldn't know, but if you have to say Kaddish, so what do you say? Yidgadal, the Yidkadash, Shmei Rabbah. May his name be great and sanctified. May his name be great and sanctified. So he says, because when someone passes away, since the neshama is the chalak elokam al mamash, is an actual part of God, it's as if God's name or presence in the world has been made a little bit smaller. So how do we remedy that? By saying Kaddish. Yid Gadal Yid Kaddash Rabbah. I thought this was like an awesome Torah. I thought this was an awesome Torah. It's like... Because it's really... It's giving cover to the person who's passed away that an actual part of God, in a sense, is no longer here. So we're going to have to like, kind of like recreate that energy by saying Kaddish and making God's name great because it was just diminished by this person not being there. I thought that was an awesome, awesome Torah. Chaim, Chaim, Chaim. Balabayit. You have you have a good good Torah for us that you want to put in? <laughs> good, good Torah. I heard a lot of good Hanukkah Torah. Yeah. Uh, very connected to what you were saying about uh, potential. That um, one of the things that uh, happened when um, the Hashemayim went back into the Beit Hamikdash and they were looking for uh, clean oil. Uh, the the idea is that uh, the same spiritual energy that was always there on on Chaf uh, Hey uh, Kislev is embodied in the whole story of Hanukkah. That when they found the Pachshemin, it wasn't that they had to bring it from outside the Beit Hamikdash, but it was always there, and they literally uncovered it from the earth. And that's that's a marshal for the fact that the kedusha is always there on that day. But we only recognized it through mm-hmm. the Hanukkah experience. Mm-hmm. And so he, Rav Sperling, my rabbi in Nachameir, uh, he was describing how <coughs> the same way that the Greeks were trying to destroy our identity and culture as Jews and, and the Torah way of life uh, through the different decrees that they did against the, the Jewish people that keeps us Jewish, he said that Kedusha is always there and we're, we're just uncovering. It's not that we're creating a, a new identity, but we're we're removing uh, all the barriers that allowed us to recognize mm-hmm. uh, our Jewishness, and that's that was the that was the beauty of what happened on Hanukkah is that we recognize that the kedusha was always there. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. That's the same thing as like uh, a lot of other Torahs you were describing. Mm-hmm. Very nice. Very nice. Let's let's. let's. <coughs> So, Hanukkah is the holiday of the Kohanim, and 
when they begin to say their bracha, it says, Ko tevarko etem Yisrael. The Ko is talking The 25th stop in the wilderness was Hashmona. And the 25th word of the Torah is Or. She should improve a lot. Amen.
Okay. You know, it says in Alanisim, at the very end, after the whole thing, it says, Kadei lahodot ulahalel. In order to give thanks and praise. And I remember I went to a Fabrenga with Rob Ginsburg. And I remember that after a lot of singing, I remember him saying that. He said, the whole thing of Hanukkah is to get us to Lahodot Ulahalel. Now, the amazing thing is that we say a full halal on Hanukkah eight times. It's like, it's like amazing. Even on Pesach, we only say full halal on the first day. Rosh Chodesh, we don't, we don't say full halal. Shavuos we do. And I think there's about 21 days in the year that you say full halal, but eight of them are Hanukkah. Eight of the 21 are, is, is, is Hanukkah. So that's the whole thing. Yeah. Oh, okay, that's it. Okay. Okay, Rachel's been dying to sing the song. Yeah, yeah. Pass them down here. Got some customers.
Too young, you come over here. I turned up before I came. <laughs> okay. So let's think. Um, are you good at living? Not really. No. <laughs> working on it. So I, mean, I have a suggestion of something. Yeah. Um, like the Chavez in I can't play. You, you can play it and we'll sing along. I, I can't play it. Yeah, let's do something we can do together. Um, can we do um, Eshet Mm-hmm. Okay, let's do that. Let's do the key playing. Everything's in D. Okay, I'll try to figure it out. Yeah?
He'll come in somewhere. <laughs> I don't know exactly that's going to be. Okay. Great. Great. Okay. Okay, let's learn about the Or Haganus, the hidden light of Hanukkah. So, Moshe, you were talking about the idea of the Pach being hidden. So that that goes along perfectly with the whole idea of the of the lights of Hanukkah representing the hidden light, the Oraganus of creation. And I was looking in the B'nai Yisachar and he had all these beautiful, beautiful Torahs. This one Torah I got very excited about. I don't know if everyone else will get as excited as I did, but um, I'll tell you why I got excited is we're told that there's I'm sure everyone's heard the idea that we learn the Torah according to Pargas. Pshat the simple literal meaning, the remez, the alluded to or hinted to meaning, the drasha, the allegorical homiletic parable, and then the highest is sod, which is the the mystical meaning, the, the Kabbalah. So this is what's called Pardis. So we're told that these four levels relate also to the actual letters of the Torah. That, that the letters of the Torah, even though we know that the letters are the building blocks of creation, the absolute uh, infinite wisdom encoded in the letters, but we're actually told this is the pshat. The vowels are called the hinted to or alluded to meaning. The crowns on the letters is called the drusha, the allegorical meaning. And the trop, the song that we sing the Torah to, this is the highest, this is the mystical meaning. So it's not often that you hear a drusha about the crowns and the letters. Even though, without telling the whole story, that when Moshe Rabbeinu had an uh, aliyah to neshama, he had an elevation of soul, and he, he saw as it were, God was putting crowns on the letters. And he asked God, what are these crowns on the letters? And he said, in the future... Someone took the phone off. Yeah. Yeah. In the future, there'll be a, a person named Rebbe Akiva who will darshan 
piles and piles of halachas from the crowns and the letters. In other words, there was a tradition, a very extensive tradition of the meaning of, of the crowns and all of the letters. It's something that we, we barely have anymore. And, and the trop also. What is the trop? Trop is, the, you know, the notes, not, not in the Torah itself, but in the Chumash, the notes that we sing the Torah to. Now, there's the song of the Torah is considered the highest level. And there's drushes about that also. But anyways, the Bnei Yisachar had a drush about the crowns on, on, on a particular letter. So I was just like so excited to actually see someone say a drusha. So he said like this, that in the creation of light, so the first time that God says, looks, V'yar Elohim, V'yar Elohim, that's the Or Ketov. He saw the light that it was good. And in the rest of creation, it repeats this a number of times. That God looked at something and saw that it was good. And then on the last day of creation, on the sixth day, he said, Tov Ma'od. He said, this is very good. But we know that the first time that a word appears, it's, it's the context of every other time that it appears. So Tov appears by light. Light is the first thing that is called good. And my wife already mentioned that there's a hint to Hanukkah in the fact that Or is the 25th word of the Torah. And if you remember that in the second verse of the Torah, there's already darkness. There's already choshech. And then the light comes. So this is just like Hanukkah. Because we're in the darkest time of the year right now. This, uh, this is the, the longest nights of the year. The shortest days. Could I ask you again what, what hour is the Pshat and Ramis? Um, in the explanation just here? Uh, so, uh, the P is Pshat. Yeah, right. Um, pshat. It means a simple meaning. Yeah, but. Uh, the, in letters the, the letters and the letters. Yeah, Pshat. Is yeah, the letters. The right, the, the, the Ramis are the, the vowels. Vowels, okay. The vowels. So the Bene Yisak, quoting from the, the Bala Rokeach, says that on the word tov so there are four crowns on the, in, in the Sefer Torah, there are four crowns on the letter tet so he says tet equals nine nine times four is alluding to the 36 candles of Hanukkah So, what everyone thinks of the Torah, but I just got so excited to actually read a, a, a drush about the crowns and the letters. Where else do you, I mean, you hardly ever see this. Right, so I was like, wow. And then he said, and, and, what, and what about the other two letters? The Vav and the Bet? That equals eight. These are the eight days of Hanukkah. In the Bnei Yisachar, 
But we're not done. So, so then he multiplied the letters by each other, which is it's it's, it's a, a typical Kabbalistic device. In other words, Tet times Vav times Bet equals nine times six is fifty-four times two is a hundred and eight. In most versions, Al Hanisim is 108 words. And he says that it was, it was set according to this. It's 108 words, Al Hanisim. And then he says a beautiful thing that this light, this infinite light, was hidden away. For the tzaddikim latid lavo, and we know that there are thirty-six hidden tzaddikim, told in every generation, and so these thirty-six candles are for the thirty-six hidden tzaddikim, because they're like, because they're hidden. It's like the darkness, you don't, you don't see them. But we know that they're there. We have a tradition that on the merit of, of the good deeds and the prayers and the good midot of these hidden tzaddikim, that, that that's what brings light into the world. So the question is, so where is this light hidden? So the different commentaries say different things, but everyone agrees that this, this hidden light is in the Torah. This infinite light was hidden in the Torah. And that's why the Zohar talks about the letters of the Torah being black fire on white fire. So he said like a beautiful thing, and some of you were there, at, I think just a week ago, at Simchat, at Simchat Shlomo, when we were learning about light. So, along with everything else, he just made the comment that the expressions, I see the light being enlightened, the light bulb going off in the, in the brain, and all these different expressions of when you come to a new realization. When you come to a new realization, the, the metaphor is light. So I explained that now what they know about the brain, this is quite literal. Because the way that the brain works is there's literally billions of neurons in the brain and the communication happens through synapses through chemical and electric messages being sent between the neurons and in that sense the brain is is an, an electric conductor it's it, it's full of 
light. So when you when you have a new idea, and it's like the light bulb goes off in the brain, it's actually quite literal. And I'm sure they got these expressions because we we actually experience it. That we it's sometimes you even see the the, the physical flash of light. It's or you you envision it when you when you get the hippieism. We say I had a flash. Not right, but that's, but that's what exactly what it means. A flash, a flash is a a new idea is being like communicated in, in a new a new pathway, and they actually know this from uh, treating people who have have strokes. That when certain parts of the brain shut down, they have found ways of teaching the person to make new um, how do say, neur- neural, pathways. neural pathways. This is a literal thing. So a person can learn to talk again after his speeches, all of those neurons actually died. But they through, I don't know how they do it, but they, they, they can train a person to create new Pathways. That's maybe also related to the fact that cells renew themselves every. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But but this is more because that it's true. That's also in a sense electricity within the with the atom energy. But here it's like quite literal. So so the Bnei Sachar said like this. Again, a very simple idea, but it's just so beautiful. He says, any time a person has what's called a chiddush, a new thought in Torah, an innovative thought, you, what you are actually doing is accessing the hidden light from the first day of creation. So that's what's actually happening. Because the, the, the light is in the Torah. Okay, so you're learning the Torah. And you're learning, and you're learning, and you're learning, okay? It's also light. But when you, you're mechadesh, when a new thought comes to you that no one else has ever thought about, is what you're actually plugging into is the infinite light of God hidden in the Torah. And it's just like such a, such a beautiful... A beautiful idea, yeah. Yeah, they describe also in a psycho- psychologically with, uh, like, when an animal makes a breakthrough, then all the animals, even if they weren't physically in the same place, they all learn that new skill. And then Lahabdi, we could connect it to when the Shulchan Aruch was being written and the Ramah was writing it at the same time. That I mean, what are the chances that two geniuses are going to be working on the exact same project mm-hmm. in the same lifetime or in thousands of years? And it's like. Once those people were opening that ah, that yeah. path to bring down right. that chokhmah, it was it was then it's in the world. Area. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. right. It's kind of right. like two astronomers have been studying the same right. area of space, suspecting that there's going to be something out there, and within a short time of each other, you know, on the other sides of the planet, not knowing of each other, they discover yeah. the same thing. It's ready to yeah. be discovered. So that, very much. It's like the brain. Once a new uh, how do you say again? Neural pathways. Neural pathways open. 
then it stays open, and then it can be it can be accessed. So that's what we say: Mir mitzvah, the Torah or. Each mitzvah is like a little candle, but the Torah is or. It's like. And we learned that the feminine of or is aura. And in the Kabbalistic alphabet of Atbash, where you replace the first letter and the last letter, the second letter and the second last letter. So when you replace the Taf of Torah with an Aleph, it's Ora. So when we say Torah Or, it's the, the three of the letters are the same. And so Moshe, this is what you're saying. In other words, the the hidden light of Hashem is hidden in the Torah all the time. It's just when we start digging, which means learning, when we start learning, we start accessing the infinite light. It's there all the time. But you but you have to in a sense work for it. You have to you have to dig. Okay, so let's do a nice mellow another one.
Now another beautiful Torah, beautiful Torah. The root of Hanukkah is close to the word Chinuch, from Hanukkata Mizbeach, which means dedication of the altar of the temple. And so that's why there's 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 a lot of emphasis on the children in Hanukkah. The idea of chinuch. But the the Bnei Yisachar said a beautiful thing. Yeah, like we mentioned before, that we're saying full halal the whole the whole time of Hanukkah. And so he said that the chinuch of Hanukkah is what is to learn and start to get ready for what it will be like after Mashiach comes. And he brings he brings a verse. I can't remember which of the prophets. It says that in the future your light will no longer be by the sun in the day and the moonlight at night but God will be your light and so this is the light of Hanukkah this is very very much now the B'nai Yisachar is, is almost 200 years ago but the Lubavitcher Rebbe, so his last 10-15 years, what he was saying to everyone is like, like open your eyes, it's, it's already happening. It's like, it's like here. Now that we know because in, on, a, on a very high level, so past, present, and future are all happening all the time. So you mentioned about a dream, right? Because that's when we have a prophetic dream, so we're, we're seeing the future in the present. 
because but the future is it's, future is always there. But ninety-nine point ninety-nine point ninety-nine percent of the time, we, we 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 just don't see it. And and Lubavitcher Rebbe was saying, that everyone, open your eyes. It's here. And I know that uh, we had we had the privilege that that Reb Shlomo. So he he actually created that energy that you could absolutely believe it. It wasn't like an intellectual thing. Open your eyes and it's here. Like okay, like like where is it? It just reminds me of a story. Which rabbi was it? Uh, it, oh, it was in um, it was in Tavaria. Yeah, it was not the Sloan, it wasn't the Vitebsker. It was Kalisker. Mm-hmm. The Kalisker, he moved in the in the late seventeen hundreds to Tavaria. And a, a lot of the Hasidim had, you know, messianic uh, aspirations that, you know, coming back to Israel, like and so one day, someone blew a shofar like in the mountains, and the students heard it, and they thought it was, they thought it was a shofar of Mashiach, and they get so excited, they run to the rabbi and they say, "The shofar of Mashiach, the shofar of Mashiach." And so the, the rabbi stood there, and then he went to the window and he opened the window. And he stuck his head out, and after a minute he said, no, it's not happening right now. So, they, so after they all calmed down and got over their, <laughs> their disappointment, they said, Rebbe, why did you have to open the window and put your head outside to know? So he said, he said, because in my house, Mashiach's already here. I had to like look outside. I had to stick my head outside to see if it was happening out there also. So that I mean, okay, it sounds you know egotistical, but what he was saying was he was saying a, a, a truth. And I remember many times when when Reb Shlomo would try to explain to us that he, let's say he did this concert and there were 3,000 people and everyone was like dancing for like an hour and a half so he would say it was like it was like after Mashiach had come it was like Mashiach had come and because we had the, had the privilege to be with him in many of those circumstances so it, it really did feel like it. And that was really from the time of the, of, of the Arizal. The Arizal said it's like already starting to happen. And then the Baal Shem said it's, it's coming. And each generation, and so the B'nai Sacher said that the, the lights of Hanukkah 
those moments those moments of clarity when you're sitting by the candles that, that inner peace the, the sense of, of completion the sense of, of, of beauty of spirituality so you can actually understand what he was saying it's like it's teaching us how we'll be that's why it's again at the end of Alamisim it says Kadei lahodot lahalel in order to to give praise and to, and to be joyful so this thing of we're told that that's what the that Sadiqim are trying to teach us is how to draw the future into the present is that to all, in a sense to already live one step beyond what we think we're, we're capable of or, or what's happening okay so I feel a meditative so let's do another meditative um,
We should, we should sing something to wake us up now. <laughs> Let's sing. <laughs> Does anyone want to add a Hanukkah Torah here inside? Yeah. In all the Torah, you have a Sudish Mitzvah. And on Hanukkah, there are no Sudas Mitzvahs at all. <coughs> Why is that? Why is that? Because <laughs> we're so stuffed with luck. So you have a party, but it's not a Sudas Mitzvah. Yeah. It's not the same thing. You look at every young person in Suva to have bus of the dog in the mm-hmm. dog It's a Mitzvah. Yeah. It's not a Mitzvah. Uh-huh. Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Moshe's got an answer. Go um, thing like food or soda, although we do have parties that you were saying, but the ikar is really more spiritual. So, Sounds good. So the light is, is more of the connection. And on the other hand, what are you saying? That when the Milchamojah sees a lot of So obviously, there was a war for a few years. He started. There is no Chabad. I don't know how you can just say it's yeah. spiritual. No, it was a real war. But we emphasize more about the Jewish survival of identity than the survival of the war. The whole aspect is very much on to it. But you didn't touch that. I'll tell you the truth. I don't have a good answer. I think it's very simple. What? I think it's very simple. Yeah, let's hear it. Because every Hanukkah is an heir, is an or. And the aura of Hanukkah, the, the Kedusha of Hanukkah, is before Yom, throughout the whole year. It's the only Yom that continues throughout the whole year, so that if you have the awareness of Hashem, then every day is a Hanukkah. So maybe we should have a Sudan Mitzvah every day. Sudan is every day. <laughs> <laughs> and the Jewish holiday. <laughs> <laughs>
I think it's the, the Maharan and the Parashat. Yeah, very good. You were right on, but uh, you got to continue. Yeah. Okay, let me just say, usually we end around this time, but it, it seems like a bunch of people are having a good time, and Moshe is signaling that we should keep going. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so just if, if anyone needs to leave or wants to leave, it won't, it won't bother us, it won't, right? So do what you have to do. Um, I'll just mention, though, that if anyone would like some good Hanukkah gifts, like right over on that table right there, there's some very, very good Hanukkah gifts available. Okay. We never answered Ayala's question. How do you know when the, when the gate opens up, or that means you go through every gate that seems to open up? Like, where is the discretion? So, I remember, I know I've, I've related this before, but it was such a deep experience for me. Once I asked what Reb Shlomo a similar question, it was just phrased a little bit differently. But it was, it was really the same question. And the question was, when you undertake a project, as an example, you undertake a project, and things are going good, and you really believe in this, you really put your heart and soul in it, and like halfway through, all the obstacles start coming. Like heavy obstacles. So I asked Rabbi Shlomo, I said, on one hand, maybe this is a message from God telling us, like, okay, you really wanted to do this, but God is sending all of these obstacles to tell you, like, it, it really isn't meant for you. Or, Rabbi Nachman and others say, when obstacles come against you, this is proof that what you're doing is good. And it's so good that obviously you're going to get opposition, spiritual, physical. So, so you should double your efforts and break through the obstacles. So I said, so how do you know when you're getting out, which one is it? Is it a message from God to stop? Or, in a sense, is it a message from God to plow through? It's a real dilemma. And so, for those who have been in the Moshav, he was standing in the, the trees behind the Bay Knesset. And anytime he was asked a very deep question, he would, he would put his, his fingers in his belt, like this, and he would like seriously like look up, like waiting for an answer to come, right? So he was standing there and he was shuckling back and forth. And I remember his eyes rolled back in his head, like he was really trying to come up with an answer. And what he said to me, he said, the truth is, this is the deepest question in the world. And the only way you can know is to have Ruach HaKodesh, to have divine inspiration. And for that, you have to daven. Because there's no formula. There's no formula to know. So there's another thing. It's not in, it's not in this week's Parsha. It's in next week's Parsha. But we talked about Yosef. Um, the door opened. Paro brings him out of jail. He interprets the dreams. 
and he just pushes the, the gates all the ways open by giving advice to Paro. But not. But next week we actually see what we'll, we'll call it a mida connected mida that it always doesn't work so simple. And the and the incident is when the Egyptians run out of food. So they came to Paro and they said, we have no more food. And he said, go to Yosef and whatever he tells you, do. And remember, the Gemara of the Midrash fills in part of the space here. Now, what, okay, it sounds like simple, Paro was saying, whatever he tells you, do. But the Gomorrah says that the people came to Paro and said, he's telling us that we have to circumcise ourselves if we want bread. And Paro said, anything that Yosef tells you, you do. And it's brought down that Yosef wanted to bring the redemption. And he wanted to circumcise everyone in Egypt. And he wanted to, in a sense, carry on where Avram had started by teaching the world about one God. And he was he was gonna like lead a a spiritual revolution here. And we're told that he, he began, he didn't finish though. He began circumcising. And these became what we call the Erev Rav. These became the Erev Rav, where they, they did come closer, but let's say not close enough. So when it came time to leave Egypt, so Moshe said, well, what about the Erev Rav? In other words, they're like, they're connected to us. And God said, said, no, they're not ready yet. And Moshe, who, who's, along with many of his other good midah, had tremendous uh, compassion. And he insisted that the heir of Rav come. And God said, I'm telling you, they're not ready yet. And the Ari says, they, they needed one more generation. They just, they weren't quite there. They were on their way. And Moshe also, like, like the gates were open, right? They're coming out of Egypt. So let's just, let's just throw them all over. Everyone who has, feels they have any connection with us should come. And it didn't work out. And so the Ari said that they, both Yosef and Moshe had very good intentions. Had very, very good intentions. But sometimes when the gate is open, it doesn't mean to push them all the way open. So that's the meter connected meter. So then you ask yourself, how do you know? Uh, it, meaning, uh, meaning that if it was just that every time there's an opportunity, it means you should just go for it. Mm. So there's, there's no balance, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because sometimes 
the gates are open, well, maybe the other side is opening the gate. Maybe not the, the, the side of holiness is opening the gate. And so Reb Shlomo's answer, even though it sounded like it was avoiding giving an answer, he really wasn't. So I was watching him and he was really, he was really trying to come up with the right answer. But there is no right answer. That's the, they call it the predicaments of life, is when you're at the crossroads, you know, you could go this way, you could go that way. There's signs this way, there's signs that way. And that's, that's when prayer comes in. That, you have to, that we have to pray for guidance, inspiration, clarity. So that was just to answer what we said. Another uh, question. Is there any express connection between Hanukkah and happiness? Between, yeah, that's, that's what we've been saying, that the end of Alanisim is in order to, to give praise and to thank. And for that, that means joyously. Okay. But that's why Hallel is, okay, it's true you can say Hallel, but doesn't it work so much better when you sing it and sing it with a lot of Kavana? I mean, that's the like, alright, that's, that's the joy. So, in, in the word Hashmonaim, you have the letters of Mashiach. And Mashiach, when you switch around the letters, we've learned this many times, is Yismach. He will be joyous. And we know that it's Mashiach ben David. And David, he had his ups and downs. But when he was up, he paved the way for all generations of how to be joyous. When, when David and Melech danced the Aaron up to Yerushalayim, this is Masay Avot Simon Lebanim. He wasn't just, you know, they weren't having like a little rock concert while they were <laughs> accompanying the Ark up. He, he, was, he was besides himself in joy. And that's why when Michal castigated him for acting like a fool in front of all the people, and he, he said, that, yeah, that if I could do more, I would do more. Like I, you don't understand, when I was dancing like that, I was, I was so humble in my own eyes. But he got beyond ego. Now, his, his dance, that's what Rabbi Nachman says. Rabbi Nachman says, if you want to know if you're happy, can you dance? He said, because there's a happiness when you sing, there's a happiness when you clap your hands, but the real happiness is when your whole body 
literally is taken over by the joy and you have no inhibitions and you, you know, I, I'm sure everyone's been at a wedding and you feel like a little happy so you're tapping your hands on the table, right? <laughs> While everyone is dancing like crazy, right? But you know the difference when you get up and you dance yourself it's like, it's all the difference in the world. So Hanukkah is, is all about joy. Because remember we said this is Chinuch for when Mashiach comes. So... And this was the very thing that the, the Yavanim wanted to take away from us. Because they forbid three things. Chodesh, Mila, and Shabbos. Which is Otiot, Sameach. All oh, right, 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 right. They wanted to kill the joy yeah. of of Yiddishkeit. Right. So. Remember, we thought of that as no we were, as you we were going to the Mahsom right. on the way to Yerushalayim. I'm sure someone says it, but I had the, it just came to me that the Rashi Teva for those fell out. Yeah. They wanted to take the joy of Yiddishkeit away. So that's what our Rebbe Shlomo put back in the Yiddishkeit was such an infusion of these holy melodies and, and his, his simcha and his depth at the same time, you know, because it wasn't just like a fluff on the outside, it was the learning behind it that made it a real deep and lasting connection. Okay, let's have a joyous thing.
Moshe, I want to bless you that your house should be like a Mishkan and that the light of the menorah should be lit here every day and like the lights of Hanukkah should go Mikhail Lachayel and it's a good time to mention for anyone who um, just reminding everyone every Monday night um, we don't exactly have quite a big a feast but, <laughs> but Moshe definitely puts out every week unbelievable and Baruch Hashem the, the, the class have been very strong this year Everyone's invited to come, invite your friends, Monday nights. Can we have time for more? Yeah? We're good? Again, anyone who needs to leave? Baruch uh, merited both with, with Rav Shlomo and Rav Ginsburg. Uh, I'm not threatening this, but for Brangens it went for hours and hours and hours and hours. <laughs> okay. Um, okay, so let's just talk a little bit about connected to Hanukkah too about how Yosef was able to interpret dreams. Last week, we approached it from one level that he learned it from Yaakov. That we're not going to go back into. But that he didn't, it just didn't come in a vacuum. Yaakov had two major dreams. And he himself interpreted Yosef's dream. So, Yosef learned it from Yaakov. But let's let's take it to a, like a different different level here. So according to Hasidus, this is a different take on how do you know to go through the gate or not. Or, or we started with earlier about beauty. That beauty and culture are neutral. It all depends on what you do with it. So, it's the same thing with the imagination. The imagination can be, in a sense, a curse or a bracha. And we're told that actually prophecy in a sense, is a highly developed sense of imagination. When it's really fixed and rectified. So Yosef, we see this in a number number of ways. That he's known as Yosef at Sadiq because he was able to overcome his natural passion to be with the wife of Potiphar. He was definitely drawn to it, but he was able to overcome it. 
And so we're told that this this is like the the rectification of his imagination. Because we all know, without getting into it, the connection of sexuality and imagination. So because he was able to overcome and reach a different level, so along with that came a rectified imagination. And that rectified imagination is what gave him the power to interpret dreams. Now it says, the Midrash says that Yosef knew 70 languages. So you ask, well, so why do we need to know that? What's, what's the connection with, with dreams? So the idea is, is that dreams are a symbolic language, but all language is symbolic. All language is totally based on symbolism and cultural context and the meanings that we associate with words or symbols. So by knowing the 70 languages, he understood the subtlety of symbolism from language to language. Now we see some beautiful things here because in Hebrew the word for imagination is middameh. Koach hamidameh. Midameh comes from the word dam. Blood. Also, very good. That's the word domeh, which means like. Something is like something else. It's called domeh. So, and how are you doing? You're making, you're making a leap. You're making a, an associative leap that one thing is like another thing. Those are the leaps that happen with symbolism. Mm -hmm. Now, this dam is telling us that, that the source of imagination is in the blood, in the body in the uh, behavioristic nature of Adam. What is Adam? The Dam is the body and the Aleph is the, is the divine soul. Man is a composite of, of heaven and earth, of spiritual and physical. So when this Dham is clarified by the Aleph, that's what Rachel said, Adameh Le'elyon. I will... Um, resemble. I, I will resemble the God, because my, my divine soul is what is ruling over my imagination not my body. So I was thinking the opposite of that is Hollywood. They create this world of symbolism that it's all fake. It's like when people go crashing through windows in, in a Hollywood movie, it's not glass, it's sugar. 
and it just appears to be glass. And it's a whole phony. The blood is not blood. <laughs> the smoke is not smoke. The fire is not fire. It's, it's all a, a false mm-hmm. world. So Rabbi Yitzhak was teaching us that we should take the power of Dimion that we have as a human being and to imagine vividly what the Gilma will be like. And to bring it into the present. Okay, so here, well, the present is Hanukkah. <laughs> so you ready for this? Midameh equals Hanukkah. Midameh equals Hanukkah. It must have taken a lot of imagination for those that little right. family of the Hashmonaim yeah. to get up and throw over the empire. Just like they must have at the first Star Wars. <laughs> it's like the forces of light against the forces of darkness. <laughs> so you know what I was, uh, what I was thinking? So you say, so what's the connection with Hanukkah? Okay, that's, that's one way. That's one way. One way to see it. But I remember when we were in Denver and I, I, I was teaching at this... Um, Talmud Torah. It's really wild, wild kids who are being forced <laughs> to have some kind of Jewish education for two hours a week. So, anyways, it was it was near Purim. All right, all right, right, right. It was right at the time we were in Denver for the Gulf War. We weren't here. So I remember afterwards. And I did this actually with a whole bunch of classes, and it was it was actually very very effective. I was trying to I was trying to teach them what an incredible imagination the sages had, because they came up with a holiday called Purim, and they came up with a holiday called Hanukkah, and they came up with Havdalah and Kiddush Levana and all of these brachas and the whole ceremony of, of a Brit and the whole wedding ceremony and I was explaining to them like like they had really good imaginations so I said imagine that you are the Sanhedrin and you have the power to make a holiday and we just had this war, the Gulf War, and it was pretty miraculous what happened in Israel. I said so that the assignment was to come up with customs for a new holiday celebrating the miracles of the Gulf War. <laughs> So if you really think about it, or, or the, Pes- the Seder of Pesach, they, like they made this up, made up in, in, in the most um, positive sense. So if you really think about it, it's the Tubishvat Seder. Okay, that comes later, but still, Tubishvat Seder and how we do Tishabov 
just all these things they came up with customs and brachas and ceremonies and rituals and you know the whole thing it's uh, it's amazing so medameh is Hanukkah and we were learning on Shabbos okay so you were there anyone else okay so so all ah, right okay so so pardon me because you've heard this before but it's good and you'll, you'll remember it now is we were learning that there okay I don't want to make this too long um, how do I okay there's 613 mitzvahs in the Torah and there are seven mitzvahs from the rabbis seven special mitzvahs from the rabbis that have the have the, the power the um, is that the right word the authority of a Torah mitzvah and we were learning and, and so you put 613 and 7 together it spells Keter and which is 620 and there are exactly 620 letters in the Ten Commandments so we're learning that each letter in the Ten Commandments corresponds to one of the 613 mitzvahs plus the seven mitzvahs of the rabbis and we were saying that this is where the minha comes that on a Sefer Torah and the Parochet and the Aaron Kodesh in almost every shul you see a crown because the Ten Commandments represent the entire Torah so why am I saying this? is because chronologically the very last one is Hanukkah Hanukkah was the last of the seven mitzvahs that the rabbis added so it's the last it's the last one but this thing of, of imagination still is carried on, there's a whole thing of Hanukkah that's Torah Shabbat Peh it was, it, it, it was a, a holiday made up by the rabbis it was an, it was an in fact, it, they even say that Hanukkah is the epitome of the Oral Torah because there's no Mishnah on Hanukkah. And there's only like a page and a half in the Gemara, or less, maybe a page in Masechet Shabbat about Hanukkah. It's like so oral that it didn't even make it into the, to the written Oral Torah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so oral, but that's the message of Hanukkah and you see from this something very very beautiful you see that that every person and I bless everyone here anyone who is, needs to find their soulmate should find their soulmate and set up a bite in Amman Yisrael but every single person and every household creates their own like customs especially with their children especially when you're trying to teach your children and you're trying to give over Yiddishkeit in the most joyous way you, you, you really dig deep into your imagination 
to find how to give it over in the most beautiful way. And so if you would go to a a, a Shabbos table, and let's say the minhag is that every man makes Kiddush. And there were 20 men there. The truth is you would hear 20 different Kiddushes. Everyone has their own little tune, right? Their own. Some people stand up, some people sit down, some people start standing, then they sit. Some hold the cup this way, some hold the cup that way. Some put water in it, some put red wine, some white wine. Everyone has something a little bit different. And this, this is the power of imagination that goes from generation to generation. This is the, the chain. We didn't say this before, that the, the two-letter root of Hanukkah is chain, is, which means be- beauty, but a, a graceful beauty. A beauty, actually, what Ginsburg teaches, a beauty through symmetry. So this, this is actually a good, a good place to start winding down for the evening, is even the way we light candles and what we do afterwards, everyone ha- creates their own little minhagim of how to do the end. This is, this is what makes it so beautiful. This is the Mahadrin Sheba Mahadrin of Hanukkah is that the oral Torah really, really means that we're not Ottomans. Uh, Otto, what? Autocrat. However you say Autocrat. it. No, no. <laughs> we're not robots. How's that? <laughs> that's, that's more of a word for my generation. We're not, we're not robots. Is we have the halacha, and we do our best to follow the halacha, but, you know, it's like an atom. So, science teaches that in the atom, it's, it's one millionth is, is, is matter, and the rest is open space. Even a little atom. There's, and the same thing with halacha, there's so much space there, really. It's very exacting, very exacting, but within the exactness, there's so much room. There's so much room to, to be creative and, and to add. That's the whole thing of Hanukkah. We're adding every night more light. Yeah? That's it. Even because of the limitations, like when you're writing ah. poem, it's because of the um, structure that the imagination can break. Yes, very much. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, yes. Did you come up with a good hack for uh, for the Melchizedek for the Gulf War? Yeah, we, I'm, I'm try, I was trying to think of some of the things they came up with. Should we write that down? Um, but if anyone are, are teach or with your own kids or, or if you're a teacher, just a great, it's a great exercise. The kids were like, they were like, wow, we can make up our own holiday. Mm-hmm. It was just like they were really, like really taken with it. I'm just, I'm just trying to think. I, I remember. One of them was shooting off fireworks because of all the missiles coming in, right? And blood the crossing. What? Blood the crossing. <laughs> uh, you know, my mind's blank now. But they they all came up with these very very creative ways to um, 
So I can't, my mind's blank. Yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So we should go from strength to strength. I also have to, I have to say that this is not just any day of Hanukkah. That exactly 35 years ago I came to Israel on this day. <laughs> this Hebrew day, not the English day, and on the Hebrew day. <laughs> right? Right? Oh, I can play that. I can play that. Yeah. Chronologically, the last one is Hanukkah. 